Welcome back. Welcome to Decision Space. The only show that takes place right here in the space between the turns in your favorite games. I'm Jake Friedman. And I'm Brendan Hansen. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. This week's episode is going to be a mini review episode where Jake and I are each going to delve into our deep-ish, but not fully deep dive thoughts on three games each. We're going to cover District Noir, Soul Forge Fusion, Through the Desert, Bullet Heart, Startups, and, and Arc Nova. So get your zebras ready for first impressions. I think, Jake... I'm curious. I'm not going times... deep thoughts. I'm going like shallow, shallow. You're going shallow thoughts. I'm, I'm, okay. in the, I'm in the kiddie pool. How many times have you played each of these games roughly? I've played three games of Battle, or no, not Battlecon, Soul Forge Fusion, and I've played one game of the other two. Sweet. So okay. it's like, this is like, you know, first play impressions for cool. me. Cool. Kiddie pool thoughts. Okay. And these are games I've got to the table, which I think is, makes it a little bit different than most of our reviews on this show, if you don't know are primarily played online digitally. That's kind of the only way that Brendan and I can feasibly play games enough together since we don't live in the same place to do deep dives on this show. So once we've had every few weeks or so, it it seems like a good opportunity to talk about some recent plays on the table and how much we enjoyed them. So that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Great. Yeah, I think that that's a really good way to approach it. I've played one of my games... 16 times digitally and the other two like five or six combined plays between them and played them on the table so i think pretty much the same for me we want to be clear that these are more like our jake's post geekway episodes and we're hoping to integrate this format a little bit more in the show because you all seem to really love it yeah i think we should just call it like six recent plays or something like that cool awesome i like it great okay before we get started with those a little bit of housekeeping I want to make an appeal to you listeners for written podcast reviews. We have 25 written reviews at present between Apple Podcasts and Podcast Addict. Those are sort of the two platforms that I know of that I can actually see reviews that have come in. And we did, Brendan, I don't know if you know this, but we did get a review this past week from Matt H. on Podcast Addict. That says five stars. I love the what we talk about episodes. That's it. Clean, simple, beautiful, perfect. That's what we're looking for. So we have 25 reviews right now. And Brendan and I are going to set the goal of 30 written reviews. Just five more people listening of the thousand or so people who will listen to this podcast. Taking 30 seconds to go onto iTunes or Podcast Addict, whatever is easier for you, and write a quick review. If we get to 30 reviews, or when we do, Brendan and I are going to record a bonus episode that's going to be a decision space after dark episode. Things are going to get a little bit loose, and we are going to answer questions found on Reddit board games. So that's the plan. Please write us a review. Give us five stars. That'd be awesome really help us kind of with our discoverability. We're not the best at marketing our show. And that's that. Thanks for your patience. And and let's get right into the show. (music) 
Let's absolutely get into it. And I think that I'm going to take the first one because I want you to have the last word with Ark Noah. Oh. Um, so I'll kick us off by talking first about a game called District Noir, which is a 2019 card game previously known as Throne and Grail. Uh, it's been released as both, but to my knowledge, they're completely the same game. And the designers are Nobutake Dogen and now Shimamura. Uh, District Noir is a light card game, set collection style card game for two players. It's only a two player card game, Jake. And the deck in this game is made up of a series of uh, cards of set values. So there's five, sixes, sevens, and eights. There's also some plus uh, positive point cards that just give flat points and some negative point cards that give negative points and also three city cards. The way that you win District Noir is either by collecting sets of those cards. So whoever has the most fives would get five points. Whoever has the most sixes would get six points, sevens and eights, so on. You'll also sum up your positive point cards and your negative point cards. Uh, and whoever has the most points at the end wins. You also get points for runs, five, six, sevens and eights. Um, but so that's one way you can win. But if any player ever collects all three of the city cards they win the game immediately Ooh. uh the way that this ooh, that's exactly how it feels when you're playing except it's also like oh <laughs> please don't let them have the city if if you've let your opponent get any of them um, but basically the way this works jake is you're each dealing from a, a shared deck and then you start with a hand of cards at the beginning of each round and you're going to play cards down to a shared display uh, from left to right so there might be two cards already out there and at the start of each turn you have a simple decision do I want to pick cards up or play one card down from my hand? If you pick cards up, you pick the five most recently played cards up from that card row. And then that's the only time you can pick up cards in that round. You'll never be able to pick them up in that round again. And the game is played over four rounds. So you go back and forth until each of you pick up cards. And then you play the if there are any cards remaining in your hand. You play them, play them down, get a new hand of cards, and go again. It's a very simple game that plays out really quickly. Playing this online on Board Game Arena, you can get a game in in about five minutes real time. Uh, async, it's a little longer, but... It's like six days. Six days, yeah, something like that. Five days. Five minutes or <laughs> six much. days, yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. But I will say that I've been... This game came highly recommended uh, from the Board Game Barrage podcast, Kellen... Uh, the red tank on that show really enjoys this game. So that's kind of how I got clued into it and went to try it. And I will say that it absolutely does not disappoint. I find District Noir's decisions around uh, the opportunity for bluffing and hand management, trying to figure out, should I be the one who's trying to pick up cards first in this round or maybe second? Um, what information do I want to present to my opponent about sort of if I'm going to pick up early or late um, is really fun. And then the city cards are interesting because of that instant win condition, they create these uh, really tense mm. moments of pressure where you're trying, essentially, once you have one or even two, you can really use that to exert pressure on your opponent because they can't afford to put themselves in a situation where if they pick up early, you then play the city card and could potentially win. So it's all about trying to figure out how to get the most value out of po the position that you're in. I find this game to be fun. It's quick. Uh, it plays out fairly similar, e similarly each time, but the more I play it, the more interesting the decision space gets and the, the sort of more nuanced I feel like mm. my ability to make decisions is. That's kind of like with uh, Lost Cities, right? Where you, you play it and you're mm. just sort of playing out your cards the first time and then the more you play it, the more you're like, ooh, this is like a really interesting yeah. kind of organic decision space. Is that the 
type of game that you that like this is a number on cards game i'm having a little bit of a difficult time understanding exactly how the mechanisms work is this more like a jaipur or or like a lost cities like what what is the game that it's like most analogous to Hmm. it's not like trick taking no that's a really interesting question it's almost i want to think about how to approach this it's almost like a mix between what two it's like a mix between Sushi Go, except you're just drafting from a shared hand that you're building together on the table because you're working towards these sort of sets, right? Like where you want to have the most eights. So on your turn, then, what do you do? On your turn, you make the decision. Do you play a card from your hand? To the middle. Or do you, to the middle, or do you pick up cards from the middle? So it has, it's sort of like a mix between, I guess, Sushi Go and Lost Cities a little bit in that way. Um, but And once you pick up tough. cards from the middle, feels- you're out of the round? You're out of the round in the sense that you'll never be able to pick up cards in that round again, but you will still play cards from your hand. So there's times where maybe so the first four... the other player from just not picking up until you've like then played out all the cards from your hand? Sure. So what might stop them is maybe you pick up early and then you've saved all of these negative cards that you're going to then slam down uh... on the table. Right, because you've you've loaded the early cards to be the positive point cards and some of the really the higher numbers. So maybe that's incentivizing them to take. If they pass, you'll take it, and then you'll you've yeah you've saved your cards. And then later. okay, so once or both maybe, people pick up, then that just goes into your like scoring pile. Yeah, you just have a scoring. Okay, pile. this sounds pretty cool. And I want to try this. I think I'm getting it. Yeah, now. let's play. Yeah, it. let's do it. I think I think you dig this game, Jake. It's quick. Uh, it's easy, and the fun thing about it is your ability to bluff. Because originally the sort of negative positive cards, I was sort of felt like they didn't feel like they belonged in the design. The more you play, you appreciate there's some, they range in value from one to four. How much, oh, like the plus three came down. Is my opponent going to try to take soon? Uh, or the, a negative comes down. And it's like, oh, maybe they're, they're trying to wait. And I think there's lots of interesting things about opportunity costs that come up too. Yeah, let's try All it. All right. I think you dig it. Overall, I recommend district noir. cool awesome all right well let's get into my first game this is honestly the one that i'm most excited to talk about and that is soul forge fusion a 2022 collectible card game by one richard garfield maybe you know of his work in this kind of genre if you've heard of magic the gathering or Keyforge, a couple of pretty popular games that he's done and then also joining together with Justin Gary, the designer of Shards of Affinity and Ascension. So they've collaborated two of the kind of, I don't know, people with a lot of experience in this collectible card game, dueling card game space, and they've come up with Soulforge Fusion. Have you played Shards of Infinity or Ascension, Brendan? I've played Ascension. I have not played Shards of Infinity. What do you think of it? I think Ascension is fine. Okay, I haven't played I would it. rather play, yeah. It, it's. You know, I'd rather play Star Realms, honestly. It does a similar thing. It's a thing. deck There's building game, row. right? It's a deck building game. Yeah, like an early deck it's, building game. It's very early. Mm-hmm. It came sort of right after Dominion, and its innovation was this shared purchasing card row. I don't know if it or Star Realms came first, frankly, but it has that same thing where you're dealing cards from a shared deck, and then you're buying from a shared row instead of a big display like yeah. Dominion. It's good. It's I've fun. heard, And I've I heard Shards of Affinity is People really like good. I, I, I think yeah. I've heard like a lot of positive reviews, but I haven't played it myself. So anyway... That's the designer background for Soulforge Fusion. And what Soulforge Fusion is, is sort of the 
People have described it as the spiritual successor to Keyforge. And I think that makes a ton of sense for a few reasons. So once again, you have these algorithmically generated decks of cards, uh, just like in Keyforge, except for instead of just using a single pack of cards as your entire deck in Soulforge Fusion, you have to take two of these uh, packs and shuffle them together. So there's four different colors in the game and you have to always pick two different colors kind of think like magic the gathering colors in this you've got uh purple which is sort of like zombies green that's like big creatures blue which is like artifacts kind of metal stuff and red which is like dragons right in aggression so four colors yeah, four colors um so you okay. so you like you can't do like two red decks together you'd have to pick like a sure. red and a blue sure and those and decks are small, right? Yeah, so I think 20 cards each so that you'd have okay. a 40-card total deck. I think that's right. Um, and then the other interesting thing about it is each deck also comes with its own sort of captain or commander or whatever. you, you There's a, you know, a term for it in Soulforge Fusion that I don't know. Um, but what this... So you'd pick one of the two decks you're shuffling together, and that gives you sort of special one-time abilities um in the second third and fourth and final round of the game you'd have an ability on that card that you can activate once which it might mm. just say like destroy any creature or turn any creature's power to zero um that type of thing um and it's sort of a use it or lose it in that round so that's cool too in that um if you were interested in doing the deck building not only you're trying to pick two decks that synergize together but then you'd also have the option of like which of the two commanders synergizes best with what you're trying to do i haven't really messed with that at all i've in my three plays this game i've just picked two random what packs and shoveled them together and just grabbed one of the commanders so i haven't really thought through you know cool. synergies or anything but it is kind of neat that it gives you just a hint more control um than in keyforge that's going to be a pro to some people and a con to other people of course uh, and then it has the same thing with like all, you know, you've got your custom deck names and stuff that are just like kind of silly. Um, I don't know. That That's an interesting Ke thing where I feel like when Keyforge came out, I was like so into it. And now that it's appearing yeah. in some other game, I'm just kind of like, huh, that doesn't really add much for me at this point. Sure. You know, like the first week of yeah. Keyforge coming out and seeing like the really silly names that were popping up. I was like, this is yeah. this is fantastic. But now you kind of like know what the algorithmic jumbled deck names can be. And they're just like, they don't know. I think we've also just culturally come a, a little bit of a ways since just from a chatbot and like per artificial text since Keyforge. So it, it just feels a little bit less. Special. Yeah. You know, it kind of feels like this should we should be making more sense than ancient stormy of the yeah. house of. Right. Yeah, I had one. One of mine was like this something chain. like murder escorts, which I liked. That's, That's pretty, pretty cool. good. Yeah. Um, it almost makes but, sense. And the other thing. interesting thing, too, is uh, Soulforge Fusion has like fully adopted the, uh, like, in Keyforge, it was like enhancements. So it's like not just that yeah. you have an algorithm creating your deck, but that that algorithm can change cards in your deck. So in like the first starter set of Soulforge Fusion, there's something like 6,000 unique cards because wow. many of the cards you could get could be like, you know, I'm going to make up a name of a card because I don't know them. Because it could be like a raging boar 
or it could be like mm-hmm. a scavenging boar or it could be like a tough mm. hide boar or something like that right so each of those cards is actually like a little bit different in that it might have a sure. different power or a different defense or a, you know a different um ability of some sort okay so that's kind of a neat thing too just from like a where we are with game design perspective you know that hey, this is sort of something that's possible now yeah. so that's sort of the background for what this game is and why it's the spiritual successor to keyforge is that it's just really leveraging that algorithmic design uh you know in in some some sense and even like greater degree um and the way the game works though is pretty cool so in each of those packs of cards you have three copies of each card in that pack okay no okay so there must be 15 unique cards in each deck pack yeah but then there's 15 level ones and then those same 15 cards also appear with a silver border that are level two versions and then they appear once more as the level three version um that's upgraded so the key hook and unique mechanism of this game is every time you play a card you remove that card from the the game if it's a you know an instant spell card you just immediately remove it from the game after resolving its effect and you shuffle or no, you don't shuffle you put the level two version of that card into your discard pile so that when you reshuffle and see that card again you'll be seeing the upgraded version of it um and then if you play it again then you get the gold version of it and if you play it again nothing goes back into your discard pile so uh at that point you're actually weakening your deck uh, the same thing is with creatures. Those are the only two types of cards, except for creatures obviously stay out on the board until they die, at which point they're removed from the game. Um, but when you play it, the level two version of it is shuffled into your, or goes into your mm. discard pile. Um, so what that means when I compare this to Keyforge is that like Keyforge is a hand management game. We've talked a lot about that on our Keyforge episode. And so much of the decisions you're making on your turn is like tied into this fundamental question of like crafting hands that's going to help you to succeed in the game and yep. soul forward fusion flips that on the head and it becomes instead a deck management game in kind of mm. a unique mm-hmm. way that i haven't ever really seen or experienced before um, because there are a lot of really interesting questions as you play through the game about what to upgrade and when um, you know you could go for a strategy of like just trying to upgrade all your level one cards right? So that you get to like a fully level two deck, or you could say like, oh, I got a level two card in the second round of the game. So I'm going to try and like push this to like level three right away and get some type of advantage. But then that'll mean, you know, in that third and fourth round, you're more likely to be drawing a level one card that at that point does basically nothing for you. Um, So yeah, I just found that really interesting and fun as I was playing through the game. And the other key takeaway I had playing this game was like it really triggered a sort of sense of nostalgia for me of when I was first getting into Magic the Gathering. And uh, you would have these like, just like huge creatures that were really exciting, you know? Like, oh, you've got like the Thorn Elemental. It's like a seven seven that does damage when it's blocked. Like what the heck? Like how could you possibly counter that like overpowered cards? Like you've got that card, it's like a 13-13. You know, the crows and crowds. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. That's exactly what yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I, rem- I kind of remember like being in elementary school and like somebody like is like showing me that in the back of the classroom or whatever. I'm just like, 30, yeah, yeah, 30, totally. like what the heck? And this like has that by the time you're getting into the uh, third level cards, like the sense of discovery is so strong. Um, and you're just slamming down like, you know, in the first couple rounds, you've got like five fives or whatever. And then by the time you're playing a third level card, they're, they are, they're like 17 power, 12 defense with some crazy ability that just totally warps the game. And unlike basically any other uh, dueling card game I've played, like the it actually feels like good to have these strong cards mm, because cool. you can only ever play one card on your turn. You just take turns playing one card, no mana cost, nothing like that. You can just play one. So you want to be playing the most impactful card you can on your turn um, all the time. So it to me, it feels like it sort of solves this issue of like these like high resource investment creatures and powerful effects that like so often in competitive card games when played competitively are just not worth the investment and here it just feels like so satisfying fun and actually like like a good decision like in the game to to be playing out these giant monsters and yeah i was pleasantly surprised with this game and uh i think it's i think it's a fun one okay question for you You've dipped your toe into this and flesh and blood. Yes. If you were said, if you were told you play this more or flesh and blood more, which game or which table are you sitting down? Yeah, at? so I think it is a really a obvious choice between the two, and that's gonna depend on what you want out of the game. If I was like, I want to like get into a game and go deep and potentially, you know, and think through the deck building and strategizing and go to tournaments and follow the competitive scene, it's flesh and blood 10 out of 10 times. I think it's like the more, it, to me, I get the sense that it's like competitively the tuned. better competitively tuned game. Whereas yeah. if I wanted to, you know, be a board board game generalist and try one of these games like once at a game night, like you're going to get a lot yeah. more, I think, out of Soulforge Fusion. You're going to have a really fun, full experience in that very first play. It's so simple, you know, ev- to to play. There's no like. Uh, at, at least at this point, you know, since it's just the first starter sets out. Actually, I think they recently re- released another one. Like the game hasn't gotten too convoluted yet. So you can really just sit down, learn it in 15 minutes and like have a great time just exploring the absolutely insane cards in your deck. Um, so I would guess for most of our audience, I would point them towards Soulforge Fusion over Flesh and Blood, just thinking like that they're probably not necessarily like looking to like start a new lifestyle game but if that's what you are looking for then i don't think at my first play that soulforge fusion is gonna hold up super well to like the fine tuning and like the searching for like the best iteration of every possible deck type of thing which is honestly the same problems that i found with competitive keyforge i feel like that might even be exacerbated here with that like little bit more deck building involved did you find the, so I'm really intrigued by this. I, I'm sort of like tepidly interested, mostly because I'm intrigued by the upgrade system, mm-hmm. which sounds so cool. Like as a decision framework, getting to add an upgraded card and having this broad range of choices potentially, but based around what you play. But did you find that it was a lot of the upkeep? Like is playing it on the table kind of, is it just annoying? You know, I, that's a totally fair question. So 
The short answer is yes, It, but the annoyance of upkeep is less around the upgrading cards because oftentimes mm. like, you play your turn and then you get your upgrade out while your opponent's going on their turn. Yeah. So it doesn't actually oh, create sure. much downtime. But there were yeah. a couple times in the game when when I've sort of been like looking at my... You can also like sort of like know how many upgraded cards you should have in your discard pile before you reshuffle. And I'm like counting it up and I'm like, I'm one card short. Like which of what, like mm, what is missing? What card am I missing? Yeah. So yeah, that, that was annoying. kind of annoying. Um, but the truly like thing that makes this game just like a pain in the butt to, to like the fiddliness of this is that there's persistent damage and upgrade power oh, like all yeah. over the place. So you'll have like mm. a 1313 that had like plus three health and power and then it takes six damage and like just like you're trying to track like all of this across like five cards in in the five different lanes uh it's like token suit it really became you know i I guess people who play this like a lot get like uh red and green 10-sided dice that they can sort of just like place on the corners of their card to change the attack and health um because really there are just like effects all over the place. Like give all your cards plus one power, give all your cards plus two health. And those are like different things you're tracking all the time. And that was really a pain in the ass. Um, so that that I found fiddly much more than the upgrade system, which was surprisingly smooth. And the last thing to say about this is uh, Soulforge Fusion does, I think, a really cool thing that uh, dueling card game enthusiasts like myself have been asking for forever, which is that they are uh each deck you buy has like a qr code and you can scan it into a digital client right now that digital client is just tabletop simulator but they're apparently producing like an actual uh website or or on you know an official online way to play um so that anything you own physically you just also own digitally Digitally. which is fantastic consumer friendly way of doing things when compared to uh you know magic or or any of the other games that ask you to buy your deck twice physical and online if you want to play it or you know keyforge which has an amazing like community driven digital implementation of it but hasn't as of yet sort of facilitated an official online play way to play that could theoretically like track your uh you know rank and all that stuff so i sort of have have high hopes that this is i don't know if this would be like the future for these type of games just because I'm a little pessimistic, but it definitely seems like an awesome and consumer friendly way to do it that I hope is, you know, supported by players. You kind of just made me want to play Keyforge. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that was Jake's take on Soul Forge. Fusion. Great. Okay. Jake, I'm taking us back to small box land. Have you ever played the 2017 Oink game Startups? I have not. So Startups is a June Sasaki game, which I've learned. So June Sasaki is one of. Oink's most prolific designers. He's the designer of Startups, A Fake Artist Goes to New York, Deep Sea Adventure, and Mask Men, which I would say are four of the heaviest hitting games in Oink's catalog of games that come up as the Oink games not to miss, uh, games that I think maybe come along alongside those as other really popular Oink games are games like Durian, Insider, and most recently Scout. So I was excited to try Startups. It's a beautiful package, just like most of Oink's games. It's felt and it's quick to get to the table. Uh, Startups is a game in which players, it's a, it's a light card game, in which players are all uh, collecting shares 
of different companies. So there's companies ranging in value from, I think, three to 10, something like that. And you have a three card hand and on your turn, you're basically going to invest in a company or draw new companies that you could later invest in. And then you're going to score points at the end of the game based on the companies that you've invested in. But the player who's collected the most shares of a given company gets paid out by players who have also collected those shares, but don't have the most at the end of the game. So Jake, if I had seven shares of the blue company and you had three shares of the blue company, hypothetically, you would have to pay me three, uh, three point tokens that get flipped over for a, uh, at the end of the game. So I'm going to score more for kind of goading you into investing in a company that I ended ha- up having majority share in. One nice twist of this is that your hand of cards, uh, at the end of the game, they don't get put away. They just get revealed onto the table. So there's some uncertainty about who's going to be winning what companies. Uh, you might build up a hand, right, where you have three shares of the same company. Jake over here is thinking he's winning with winning that company, going into the end, feeling strong. You play those three cards down at the very end. Surprise, I actually control the winning share. And now Jake has to pay me a bunch of points. So I thought the framework of startup sounded really interesting. Uh, and I was excited to play. I played it three times back to back, and I felt that, unfortunately for me, the decisions just felt a little bit, uh, it was maybe a little bit hard to get a sense for how my agency within the system and just player agency in general would play out. There's a lot of needing to read the table, and it seems like the cards can just not go your way, which is fine for a light card game like this, but I think in some ways, it's scratching a similar itch to a game like High Society or even Scout, uh, which is uh, plays into that hand management idea as well and accommodates large groups. Both of those games do to some extent. And I think that at the end of our third game, we just sort of said, let's just play Scout instead. We'll have a more fun time. So I think, unfortunately, this one turned out to not really be for me. That's a bummer. Yeah, what's it? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so do you, do you think like, if you had played this before you played scout, you would have had a more favorable impression. And this like scout just does everything better. Maybe I think some of the, they're not exactly the same game. So I want to just like, I I do want to make sure space. Yeah. Like within the same space of a game, I feel like they're fulfilling a similar footprint. Um, They're definitely doing different things, but I think that I might've had a similar impression where, my my take is is that almost every game is going to play out kind of similarly with the same companies kind of fulfilling similar roles. And, and we ended up with some interesting group dynamics. But at the end of the day, it's hard for me because I love like games with lots of uncertainty and games that are random. But I want to feel like I have enough agency that I can make meaningful and interesting decisions. And I'm just not sure there's quite enough here. Um, and there's enough... There's enough to teach that I'd rather just teach Scout, which is probably a slightly harder teach, but a much more rewarding decision space. Um, yeah, Scout rocks sort of, so hard. Yeah, Scout's awesome. We're going to cover Scout on the show, I think. Right? Yeah, Jake? I mean, at least in some capacity. Maybe it, maybe yeah. as a full episode, maybe as like a, I don't know. But yeah. A double dip. Something like something. that. Yeah. I think that I definitely see why people are attracted to startups uh, and it absolutely has a large group of fans. But yeah, for me, I think it's going to take a backseat for Scout for the time being. Yeah, I don't know, man. Oink Games is just like a weird one for me where they definitely have some cool games like Scout Rocks. I think uh, Deep Sea Adventure is pretty great for a roll and move game. (laughs) But it's also (laughs) a roll and move game. And then a lot of the other ones I've played are just like almost awesome, but don't hold up. 
to where I yep. wonder you- if like, oh, sorry, what were you gonna say? No, no, no. I, was, I wonder if it's the kind of thing where like every people collect these yeah. and then it's like because you have this collection, it's like, well, which ones stand out? It's like, well, startups, but it's standing mm-hmm. out over some games that just like don't really work <laughs> that yep. well. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of my impression as well. I really wanted the experience to pop Mm -hmm. uh, and for there to be a bit more variety. I was so hopeful because it's a beautiful game that I would love to... Oink games are awesome. You you plop it on the table and everyone's excited to jump in. But I think you do want to just collect them because they're they're cute. Yeah, Uh, I like having them. What about Insider? Have you played Insider? Yeah, I think Insider is just like doesn't work really very well. Yeah. Okay. I think it's fine. It's it's fine yeah. but like there are other ga- other games in that space that just do it better it might be a yeah. uh blasphemy to some but i, I played where words as well and i think mm-hmm. that's like a much better implementation of this system and honestly i might just rather play 20 questions than insider yeah, interesting. um and i think like a fake artist goes to new york is another one that's like insider where it's like amazing concept like yeah, I love sure. the concept of both like 20, 20 questions with a secret trader. Like what a fantastic pitch that is for insider. And similarly, yeah. like, you know, uh, it's like a spy fall, but you're drawing a picture, right? Where sure. everybody knows what you're drawing except for one person. And you have to guess what they are And But in practice, like, it just seems like whenever I tried it with my friends, it's like fell apart really quickly where it's just like either like, yeah, so obvious you know it's 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 surprisingly easy to like help the table know that you know what a picture is without giving anything away you know i think that is the fatal flaw you know where like you you hear that premise and you're like okay i might be able to get some idea based on like what other people are doing but like when you're doing like a squiggle to just like invoke like the that you know i'm i'm doing like a three quarters of a coconut and I placed it here because of that. it's like, you're not giving anything away. And then somebody is just doing something wrong. Like that just has how yeah, my sure. plays have panned out far more often than not. Yeah. That's interesting. I haven't played a fake artist goes to New York. It's always been one that I'm intrigued to like, I'm intrigued by, I want to try yeah. it, but clearly not quite enough because I could easily make it and, and have us try it. And I haven't done it. It feels yet. like so- it, a game that like is maybe, in both the case of insider and a fake artist goes to New York uh, to like do the annoying thing of like redesigning the games. It feels like maybe these are games that are like too developed almost mm, where they need yeah. a couple more rules to actually like make it work. Well, interesting. I, so I enjoyed my play of insider, but it's been a long yeah. time since I played it. I like that it was sort of positive player interaction. Oink is also just constrained by the size of their boxes that they've decided their whole game has to fit into always, yeah. which is sort of, yeah, it's limiting. But yeah, cool. That's like a little Oink interlude. Startups, for me, a pass. Yeah. Uh, but Scout, you're my you're my number one. I would say Oink, games, tier list real quick. Scout, S, Deeps, yeah, Deep Sea Avenger, A, okay. Insider, and uh, Fake Artist, C, and those are the only ones I've played. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, for me, it's more like, okay, Scout S tier, then everything else I've played, which is only startups. And okay, Wait, no. they did publish Modern Insider? Art, right? Okay, that does not okay. count. We're not counting that. <laughs> but okay, fine. Scout and Modern <laughs> Art S. Uh, 
Insider A. Uh, modern Art A for and me. And then Modern Art A. Or B. Interesting. Maybe. Okay. I haven't played in a while. And then there's like a jump. Yeah. I'm like, I played Deep Sea once. I was not into it. I don't know. It's Deep fine. Sea, it's like, it's a bit. It's like a party trick where it's like. It is a bit. That's the problem. They're all bits. Yeah, right. Totally. Startup is a game trying not to be a bit, but it's just a bit. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem that I had. Yeah. All right. It's like, oh, yeah, clever idea. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about another Okay, game. startups. It's a pass, unfortunately, for Brendan. All right, so my next game is Bullet Heart Emoji. Bullet Heart, Bullet, greater than three, you know, whatever you want to call it. And th- this is a 2021 game designed by Joshua Van Lanningham of Level 99 Games, or published by Level 99 Games. Uh, we're fans of Level 99 Games. We really enjoyed uh, BattleCon. Please go back and listen yeah. to that episode. I think it's one of the most interesting episodes we've done because of Brendan and I's passion both for that game and of the source material of the kind of fighting game video game genre um and and they have also done like exceed they've done millennium blades a lot of really cool evocative stuff of a certain thing right sort of like the anime aesthetic sort of the video game so on and so forth and level 99 uh their ethos is Definitely infused into Bullet Heart, which is a board game trying to evoke the bullet hell genre of video games. Brendan, are you a bullet hell fan? I've played, you know, I've played a few games in this genre. I was more likely to pop a quarter into an arcade machine and play like a shoot 'em up bullet hell type game than I was. I, I, I haven't played them in a long mm-hmm. time. I think it's fun. I played Enter yeah, the like, Gungeon on Switch. Oh, sure. I, I okay. like that a lot. It was very fun. Um, Inter- that's it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, basically, you know, that the idea is that in these bullet hell video games, if you're not familiar, is that you're a little character roaming around and there's just like, or a spaceship or something, right? Sure. And there's just like damage flying at you from all directions. So you're that you have to constantly be like using your movement to avoid while you're progressing through the level and the game and taking down foes and so on and so forth. So the way that looks in bullet is that you have a grid that is constantly being filled up by these like circles that you're, they're like tokens you're drawing out of the bag. And when you draw them, they have to go onto your grid. If there's no space for them on the grid, then you take damage and you have like three damage. There's it's there's a variable player powers type thing. So some characters can take more damage than others. Um, but basically there's, I think there's four different uh, columns in your grid that represent different colors in the game. So you'll draw a, gre- a green token with like a number three on it. So that means you have to put it into the green grid and down three spaces. And then, but if something is in that space already, then it has to go like one further down. So as your columns get more filled up, there's more numbers that you can draw that are going to, you know, kill you because, oh, I can't put it three. Oh, there's only four. And now it's like falling off entirely. Did it feel like a shoot 'em up? No, it sounds no, so abstract. No. Okay, <laughs> definitely not. It feels more like Candy Crush. Okay, interesting. Like, That's kind of where my or head like went. Bejeweled like Bejeweled or like something sure. like that. Because like a matching right. Game. So the way the game works is you're drawing these things out of your bag, and in order to like survive the round, you have to draw out yep. all of the tokens in your bag. 
um, but you also have some amount of uh, resources to to like do different abilities on your board, which will be like moving the tokens around on your grid. Like I could sp- spend like the character I was using was like spend two energy to move something up one or like one energy to move it left or right one. So you're moving them around. And then at the top of your board, you have these cards that are like your character's like moves. So mine Mm. was like one billion pound hammer drop or something. And like in order to like use that card, I had to uh, basically create the pattern shown on that card on my grid. So then once I do that, I get to like take all of those or not all of them, but like it'll show like a certain number of those tokens are then like consumed by it and i take sure, those take them and off i pass brain. them to the person on my left and whatever oh, i pass okay. them in the next round of the game is going to be like going into their bag so that that's kind of like interesting so we played a four player game so you're always sort of like fighting you're dealing damage to the person on your left and like receiving damage like in the form of this from the person on your right have you ever played Puzzle Fighter, Jake? Do you know about the genre? No, I haven't played Puzzle Fighter. I know Aurora's talked about Puzzle Fighter a lot in our Discord. Aurora's talked about Puzzle Strike, oh, which puzzle is a riff strike. on Puzzle okay. Fighter. It's the same idea, though. Okay, so basically, this is genre done by Capcom in the late 90s. It's oh, pretty much exactly what you're saying. Like where it's a Poyo Pop or whatever. It, right, yeah, where it's a falling one. block game where you're when you succeed at removing things, they go to your opponent. Yeah. So it sounds like Bullet is a mashup of like these that Puzzle Fighter type idea with the theming of a yeah, that up? makes more sense. Honestly, interesting. Okay, yeah, it feels much more like that arcade game than than it does like a bullet hell or whatever. I like that. That's the inner the interactivity of you passing it to the player on your left. That's really yeah. cool. So, what do you think? So, the, I had a great time with it, and we played it in the not real time mode. Oh, you can play it real so time play too. It so real time, really like fighter. where I think you have like okay. five minutes ago, or you can do it like not real time. And the way the not real time works is like basically rounds start, uh, sync like everybody's starting at the same time, and then like whoever finishes going through their bag first gets like a bonus or their first choice huh. of bonus okay. or whatever. Um, so it's still a little real time. Yeah, there's still like you're still like racing a little bit. Yeah, you're on your turn. You're still playing real time, right? I'm take you take out a token, put it on your board. Then I can do whatever I want to manipulate it, spend my okay. energy or whatever, or I could just start sure. pulling out more and more tokens and putting them on my board. Gotcha. But if any, but then you have to like sort of calculate, right? It's like, oh, if I draw a red three right now, like it's gonna deal me a damage. So like, what do I do? I maybe I take a time to try and like use one of my pattern cards now. Powers. Okay. or whatever so yeah it was like how long it was is this really game? cool um our game was probably so it was it was um me and bridget's first time playing um and i think that the people we were playing with had played and teaching us had played once before probably took 30 to 45 minutes cool to so it's fairly it's like midway it's, it's quick yeah. and it, i think it, our game lasted like four or five rounds and i lost yeah it gets important to know I was eliminated like a, a full round before I think me yeah. and like okay. Jamie were both out. And then the two other people were uh, playing like a whole nother round. And we were just kind of like sitting there heckling. So there is like slight player elimination. I think it'd be pretty unlikely that somebody's eliminated like more than one round before the final round. Right. But that's yeah. something that could yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So yeah, it was cool. And I guess if you play it real time, then it's like 20 
minutes max because it's like a five minute round or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I'd be really interested to try that. And the different like player powers were pretty cool too um, because they're, they're like just, uh, I was playing like a really basic one. I think I had like four health where Jamie's character only had two health, but he could like spend a lot of energy to like, like after picking up a, he was like press, he had like prescient. So like after picking up a token out of the bag, he could like pause and do something before placing it to like, like expending resource. So, so that like really changed up, I think the kind of the way that he was thinking about it. And then like one of the other players, the game was using one that's patterns work totally differently. And it was like about like adding and subtracting numbers together rather than creating shapes. So that was kind of cool too. The, the different, puzzles that we were all doing so this looks yeah re- it sounds really cool yeah the grid also i, I want to say is a six by five so it's a pretty oh big yeah. grid it's also it's five it's hard to four. overstate it's five okay it's so anime yeah it's so anime. it's i mean it's so yeah anime. the level 99 like aesthetic is here like and i kind of like you know admire it in some ways it's not my favorite aesthetic but yeah. i like that that they're sort of like unapologetically like this is what us and our fans are into. Um, yeah. And I think that the gameplay is solid underneath. And, and, and I, you know, I, I think the, the game, the design throughout all the offerings of the company I've played so far have been, has been really strong work. And I think it's yeah. uh, no different here. I think you would like it a lot. I this one I would love to play with you. Yeah, it looks really cool. Can you play it too? Do you know? Yeah, I, I I don't see why not. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow! It looks like there's a, it supports one to four players, and BGG suggests it's best at. Two, All right, there you go. Which makes sense with the passing. Yeah. Cool. No chance for so like was, player elimination in that case. Exactly. Right. Then you just yeah. lose. So that was Jake's thoughts on level 99's bullet heart. Also, notably, there was a there's a follow up bullet star. So maybe. We will peek at that. Geekway. Geekway. We'll play. We can play Geekway. Ooh, nice. Maybe. Jake, do you know what time it is? What time is it? It's time for the Rhino Kinesia Special Interlude! Rhino Kinesia! Rhino Kinesia! Let's go. My favorite part of every episode, obviously, Renner Knizia is one of Knizia, my favorite designers of all time. Brendan. Knizia is one of my favorite designers of all time. So embarrassing for us. The, Rhino Kniz is one of my favorite no, designers of all time. Talking about this great designer while just like woefully failing to pronounce his name. his name correctly. Okay, the doctor. The doctor, Rhino the doctor. Is that that's our nickname, right? No. Great. <laughs> Okay, well, let's get into it. Um, so I'm a huge fan of uh, Dr. Kinesia's... Kinesia, Brendan! <laughs> Dr. Kinesia's... Brendan! <laughs> Dr. Kinesia. Kinesia. God. Dr. Kinesia's... Why are you uh, doing this? Is this a bit? Ludology. This is a bit. <laughs> is it a bit? Um, I'm a huge fan of all of his... Rhino Kinesia. Rhino Kinesia. Rhino Kinesia. There we go. Okay. Like... Tigris and Euphrates, mm. Babylonia, Blue Lagoon. Mm-hmm. These are games that I really love. Other games that are grouped into this, right? The original three that people always reference are Samurai. Tigris and Euphrates, 
through the desert and samurai. Yep. And those would lay the groundwork and sort of inspiration for the ones that followed up Yellow and Yangtze, Babylonia, and Blue Lagoon. Blue Lagoon. Yeah. So I, for the first time, I wanted to seek out and play. I've played Tigers and Euphrates, but I had never played Through the Desert or Samurai. So I want to seek those out and sort of see the inspiration and influence that created some of my favorite games of all time, like Blue Lagoon and Babylonia. So I returned all the way back to the 1998 Through the Desert. Through the Desert is a beloved game uh, that for a few reasons, I think. One, it's incredibly approachable. It supports a broad range of players. And it has delicious little plastic camels that are really fun to look at and maybe less functional from a game utility point of view than they should be. I've found some of the colors a little bit hard to distinguish in evening light, which is really the that's the light I would like. You're old, you know, dude. I want that evening light. I, I am old. I'm, I'm so blind. Well, I'm, me too. I can't see like, shit anymore. I used to be able to see so well. I can't see anything. I know, right? I All my coworkers are like, why do you wear glasses now? And I'm like, because I'm blind. <laughs> Having a child sapped my ability to see anything. And I didn't even bring him into the world myself. But anyway, Through the Desert. Okay, so I've primarily played Through the Desert physically on the table with Maya at two players. And I do want to add that caveat because I think that all of the games in this tiling trilogy work better and worse at different player counts to varying degrees. Uh, and there's different reasons for why that is. One of the big ones is scaling. So how does the board shift based on its player count? In Babylonia, the, the, there's a whole scaled version of that game that really shrinks and forces conflict into a smaller space. And the groundwork was laid for that in some ways here, because in Through the Desert, there's a smaller version of the map for two players. So to start off, that's great. Big things that come to mind for me, Jake, whenever I'm playing a tile lane game by Renner Knizia is how many tiles do I get to play on a turn? The answer here, right, because in, in Babylonia, it can range from anywhere from two to let's get really crazy and say six, which could technically be possible. Seven could even be possible. Realistically, it's like two to four. But that feels really differently than a game like Tigris and Euphrates, where you're always playing two tiles or Blue Lagoon, where you're just playing one tile a turn. Uh, that really impacts the feel of the game. And through the desert, it's two. Another big thing is how does placement work? Do I have to only place adjacently to pieces I've already placed? Or can I place anywhere on the board? Uh, in through the desert, you have to always place adjacently to pieces of the same color that you've already placed because there's these five shared colors. So you're pulling from a shared pool of tiles of camels and the game ends when any one of those groups disappears. Um, so that's a, a interesting dynamic in this game that you're pulling from the shared group and then you all have control of when the end game might occur based on one of those supplies of camels running out. I really like that element of the game and it's something that's not present in a lot of the other tiling games where you have your own pieces or it's a shared pool that's just a bag like Tiger and Euphrates where all the tiles are in there. One thing about Through the Desert that's really important though is because of this need to play adjacent to your caravan's uh, of the same color, you start the game with this really important decision where you're playing these leader camels to the board that are marked with your player color. And I found that those decisions were really interesting, but it made the game really fragile because there was a potential to blunder that opening phase in a way that makes it not necessarily, I, I, I mean, you could blunder it so hard it would be impossible to come back and win. Uh, 
But even from there, I think the decisional footprint of those first turns of placing leaders and my plays with Maya felt a little too high compared to the decisions that came after to the point where sometimes it felt like the game was almost decided in that opening go about just based on where things went on the board. And we found ourselves a few times where Maya was sort of like, okay, can I concede and we can just play again? Because it's clear halfway through that you've won this one. Wow. So that's like Rhino Kniz doing a splatter before slaughter way and i think Rhino that, has invented Jake, splatter. yeah you heard it here first it, it's a yeah inside break i think that we see this iteration where in some ways blue lagoon is sort of the game that gets referenced as the one that kind of follows up in the footprint of through the desert more so and i think a big part of that is you in Blue Lagoon, you have these two phases where you play all over the board once and then you start again and you have what are functionally leaders that you've placed on the board, but you place them within the first round. You have these huts that you place out and that's where you start placing from in the second time through the game. And I think that that works way better uh, in terms of having the decision space feel a little bit less fragile from the outset. Mm. But that game's much longer. I think it doesn't actually scale as well. I like that game much more at three or four. And I don't really like it at two because the board is so big. That's Blue Lagoon. Yeah. So I really enjoyed playing through the desert and I'd like to play it at higher player counts to get a sense for the feel. But I will say at two player, I think that it's going to be hard pressed for me to invite Maya to play a tile lane, a Kinesia, Kinesia tile lane game and not have it be Babylonia just in our collection right so, now. So, I mean... Like for you, you're such a huge fan of all of these games that it's worth it just from like an academic pursuit, right? To sure. to kind of go back to this source material. This is like you yep. like being like Citizen Kane is my favorite movie again, basically. So what I'm trying to oh say, my gosh. so my question it's is, a- Brendan, let me finish. <laughs> Brendan, let me finish. <laughs> so my question is for the rest of us who maybe don't have the same like academic desire would you recommend going back to 1998 to uh revisit or visit for the first time through the desert or like we can just skip that we can just play babylonia i think jake that outside of an academic pursuit i would recommend skipping Mm -hmm. it i think that if you haven't played any of these games starting with through the desert despite its charming if not does like not quite functional presentation, it'd be better to just jump in with Blue Lagoon or Babylonia. I think that they're they show the product of iteration in their design. And they they've clearly learned from some of the mistakes made in these earlier games. Not that there's a lot of mistakes here. It's a wonderful game, but I just think it's a it's a tough sell. You'd have to get it secondary. You'd ha- it's a little bit more expensive. And I don't think that the game that's offered is all that much more interesting or better. It's different. One nice thing about all the games in this series is that they do stand alone. They're, they're tweaks on a similar idea that are doing a totally different thing. But at the end of the day, if you've never tried Blue Lagoon or Babylonia, start there. Interesting. Also, now we get to talk about Orson Welles, right? Because I, I just, that's sk- Skip Citizen Kane, straight to Touch of Evil, that intro sequence, so phenomenal. I can't believe Jake just signed him up for a whole 50-minute conversation on that. It is interesting. I'm just going to ignore that and say like, (laughs) I feel the same way that you're describing when I like revisited or visited for the first time, like Notre Dame by Stefan Feld. Oh, sure. By Feld. I was like, this is cool. Like, this is like an old Feld game. Like, it's very good. But also like, it's not one that I've really gotten off myself outside of like the first 
like after like the first couple plays of owning it like there are like other versions of not not exactly the same but like there are other games sort of in uh, that I own from Steffenfeld that are ones I like just a bit more and would rather play at this point but at the same it's almost like like the analogy I want to draw is like seeing a movie it's like I'm glad I saw the movie you know I had a good experience seeing the movie but I don't necessarily need to like see it again and again and that's where the analogy falls apart a bit because board games are not movies but like that's as we've been playing more and more games for this show i honestly think that's like something i want to start baking in a little bit more into like my reviews it's just like this is a game that like i'm glad i saw the movie and now Mm. you know i feel like that's like a lot of like the sevens for us right where it's like this was like totally. totally good and fun and if you like this kind of thing play it But I'm not like now that I've seen it, I'm kind of like glad I did and ready to move on. Okay, here's a question for you, though. This is one I'm dealing with is we're you're a huge Feld fan. So Notre Dame found its way into your collection. I'm a huge Canizia fan. So through the deserts in mind. Nice pronunciation there. Thank you. Thank you. I'm trying to make a joke about it a bit, but I don't want to go there. So we own these now. We've experienced them. We've quote unquote seen the movie. What happens to the game? Is it nice to keep it? In case I want to share it with someone else in the future, just in case I want to return to it in the future, or do do you feel with Notre Dame's kind of a different case because I think that game's like twelve dollars on the secondary market. Or yeah, I got it real cheap, right? but that, yeah. I don't think that oh, really changes wait. anything for this, right? Because it's more at this point, right. it's like whatever your investment is, probably if the games you are occupying the same it? place for us, yeah. should it be something that you sold on to? I think it just depends how much of a collector you are. I've got a little yeah. bit of a collector bug in that like like a Feld game is one of the few that I'm probably not to. going to get rid of just because I, I like that I, you know, I'm building out this like collection and maybe if I'll maybe I will revisit in like another year or two or whatever. Um yeah. but I think like in general that's probably like not a super rational way to think about things. And if it's a game, like if you've run out of space, then that's probably like a good candidate to maybe gift to somebody else so that they can sort of experience that the once or twice that they need to. And then, you know, fantasy flight got me, Jake. They got me. They made that beautiful Euro classics version. Then I got it. Now it matches Taj Mahal, which I don't really love that much. But now I have the both. They look nice. Do I go try to get Samurai yeah. now? Do this I is why I'm raw? staying far, far away from like the city masterpiece, Feld City masterpiece series oh. by Queen Games. But at least they made it easy to stay away from by pricing them at like $120 a pop. They're like more expensive than the out of print Canizia Euro classics yeah, right. on so the secondary crazy. market. That's it's just crazy. so insane. Can I say one more quick thing on Through the Desert before we go to Arc Nova, which is just one thing about the game that I did really love, Jake, is there's so much passive pressure because you but you can never combine caravans of the same color between players. And what that right, so my green camel caravan could never connect to yours. So what that means functionally is I can block off whole parts of the board by getting just close enough and then never committing again. Which I found totally wonderful and interesting and awesome. That sounds like, hey, that's my ex- fish a little bit. Almost. Right? Yeah, Where interesting. Where it's like you like kind of position yourself in a way that's like, yeah, you better not. You disincentivize Yeah, like you action. better not go yeah. over here because you'll be in Yeah, it trouble, almost escalates. Even though I don't actually want to move that way type of deal. Yep. 
Totally. Maya found this so aggressive and terrible that she was sort of like, why are we doing this? It's so frustrating. And there's another mechanism, Jake, that I'd be remiss not to mention, which is this sort of encircling mechanism where you're trying to block off whole parts of the board that's not present in any of the others that was fun. But I don't know. The juice wasn't worth the squeeze. I'm going to go play Babylonia. Ziggurats all the way. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll need to get your uh, Kinesia. Gosh, it. Kinesia. Rhino Rhino Kinesia tier list sometime very soon yeah. okay okay last one arc nova so i've only played arc nova one time it's a game that probably doesn't need much of an introduction uh i think it's like what number like four on the board game geek best board games of all time right now a game very much akin to something like terraforming mars in the sense that it is a card driven game where you are building out a player board. In this case, it's a personal player board, your zoo, as opposed to a shared player board, like in Terraforming Mars. Um, but pretty similar in in that like overarching mechanic sense. I've seen a lot of takes that are like, how could anybody compare this game to Terraforming Mars? And it's just like very easily there are like many yeah. <laughs> like similar things about it. Like, uh, no, it's not the same game. I do think it's a better game after just one mm. one play of it. Um, the really cool mechanism, which I guess is a riff or uh, like a wholesale uh, borrow, borrow, copy and paste <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> snip uh, from what is it like some Civ game, a dawn of civilization, civilization, yeah, a new dawn. Good. We got to get the yeah. I think that's. I think you got it. Civilization, a new dawn, twenty seventeen. Yeah. Uh, and and yep. the way so that. The mechanism is like how you actually take actions where you have like these five, I think five cards um, and you can use any of them on your turn, but whatever, wherever it is from slot one to five tells you like the power level of that card. Mm. So you want to be using the higher power level cards because when you take a card out, it slides everything down. So that create, that's just a really cool mechanism that just creates uh internally into that a lot of like medium and long-term planning where you want to like set up sequences of plays so that you're constantly using you know your high-powered cards four or five over and over and over because you just get so much more value out of that than using lower power cards but everything else in the game seems to work against this tactically um because it has a lot of like in terraforming Mars sort of a tag system. So like every animal that you would want to get for an enclosure uh, has like a certain type of requirement for what you would need to have built in your zoo. Um, And it also could have like a requirement for, I think like where you're at on the, it also, it has the, as an aside, it has the uh, Rajas of the Ganges, score tracker score system. system where you have to like you have two different scores going on one is like income and one is appeal of your zoo and when they cross that triggers the last round of the game and whoever has overlapped by the most that's your final score type of vibe so i think there's like the restrictions you need like a certain amount of money to play something you have to have like the right kind of enclosure built in your zoo you might have to have some other forms of like uh being a certain distance on the appeal track maybe i can't remember exactly but there's like four or five different considerations that you might possibly have to have before something could go into your zoo so the effect of it is like okay i want to use my five power card 
but like that allows me to buy an animal. But before I buy an animal, I have to like get more income. But like before I get more income, ideally I'd want to like go up more on the income track so that I'm like, you know what I mean? So it's like every, and then like to do before I do that, like, Oh, a good way to get more income would be to like build this animal into my zoo. Um, so it sort of like has this like incredible, whichever action you want to take has like this kind of like extremely bandwidth testing chain of sequencing that you'd want to do to like achieve it optimally and so that's what i found like the on my turn or preferably on my opponent's turn i'm like pre-planning is like okay like i like trying to figure out like trace all the way back on any one thing to like what is the starting point for this sequence? And it like, and invariably that's like, Oh, that's the card that's in my like one spot. Well, I don't want to do that. Cause that's like such an inefficient sure. use of that card. So then you like start going down this whole other chain of thinking. And it's like a very, it's, it's a heavy game. It has a lot of like really satisfying turns. Um, because like any, and it's essentially an engine building game right every time you put an animal in that's going to give you more income uh when you get more income or more appeal you're like crossing certain like barriers on the track which gives you some other bonus um you know that can make it so that oh every time you put like this type of animal or like this type of region animal from like a certain part of the world you know a, a, a south american animal in your zoo like that's triggering this other thing and so on and so forth so it has like really satisfying progression, lots of, uh, I would say like some long-term strategy, right? Where you're like, okay, I'm like maybe going for this like overarching theme with my zoo, but but most of it like lives in that like middle ground of like, you know, extremely complex to navigate tactical play with I think like a really high skill ceiling in like finding the best tactical plays on any given turn and strategy that's like a sequence of like three or four turns out type of thing Mm. um and i think that is obviously for many people a a big sweet spot of this sort of like waxing power game in so many ways is it's waxing what about for jake friedman i liked it enough that i would want to play it again my play was long but the group i was playing with tends to run a bit long mm. on games i it has definitely a feeling of like you need to you can like build something that's like okay great whenever i play a primate i get a bonus and you just like no more primates do you ever have the Come opportunity up. to take yeah. that doesn't bother me as much you know i i kind of like that uh that type of like variability and randomness um but i think that could be a drawback for for many people I don't know. I, I liked it enough that I want to play it again. I definitely didn't walk away from it thinking this is the best board game I've ever played, which is which sure. is like a high bar <laughs> to Large. set. Yeah. But almost like that sort of is like the bar that has been raised for this game for me, just because it's just been so universally beloved and, and praised. But was it the best board game you played last month? I played it in January. Okay. So no, easy okay. answer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about in January? It's a good question. It's just so hard. It's like really yeah, just like because of like who I am. It's really difficult for me to ever say like a heavy game that took like three and a half hours to play. It was the best it's, game yeah. I played because like 
we, I, the same day I played like bullet heart and I was like, Oh, this is a really fun experience and took like 45 minutes, sure. you know? So yeah. is it like four times more fun and enjoyable than bullet heart? I don't know. I don't think that yeah, it is for totally. me, but also we yeah. are people that, you know, I thought terraforming Mars was like good, not great. You hate terraforming Mars. You think terraforming Mars is like the worst game of all time. Okay. 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 <laughs> not quite that far. <laughs> okay. That's too far, but you know, there's so much shared DNA between the two that like, yeah. I think this is for like many people like, uh, makes terraforming Mars obsolete. And and for mm, a lot of people, sure. Terraforming Mars was like a top five game for them. So yeah. when something comes is, along that just is like, oh man, like this is even better than Terraforming Mars in, in that same space, you like would immediately know after that play, like, wow, this is a top five game for me or or better. Yeah, that's a huge achievement. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard. It's hard for me. I can find plenty of gripes in the game, but like mm. I think it's a strong design. The biggest gripes for me would be anytime there's like you're like production is like 36 bucks and you're getting like all this stuff all the time and you're getting like every time you hit an income you're getting like all these other like bonuses and things to track so whenever that happens and that's basically any engine building game i'm always like looking side eye at everyone around the table like it just feels like somebody's gonna like mess up something you know unintentionally or whatever i don't know like maybe like this on board game arena would be sick i think you gotta i hear you but at the end of the day, this is board games, you know? I'm really intrigued. I think the fact that you want to play it again is enough to keep me intrigued and excited to try it. I have that like negative bias going in and I was still won over by it. That's a that's quite that's a good sign. Yeah. So interesting. Jake's thoughts on Arc Nova. Hopefully I'll get to share my thoughts on yeah, it. Yeah, more to come. More to too. come. I think yeah. I think something we should if we get the chance to play it more, perhaps would be a good one to do an episode on. Cool. Awesome. We hope that you all enjoyed this sort of new-ish format, kind of riffing on our mini reviews. Uh, definitely let us know in the either in our Discord. Give us your thoughts in the episode discussion channel. You can find a link to that in our show notes. Remember our sort of request for reviews. If you have time, it goes so far for the show. And if we get to 30 written reviews, it could be as simple as the show's incredible, uh, or I love those what we talk about episodes. We're gonna do a bonus episode. I also want to mention for our pre-planners, the people who play games along with us, that coming up is Messina, The Resistance, and maybe we'll fit Scout in there somewhere. Uh, also, thank you to Hembry for our intro and outro song, Reach Out. Hi, y'all. Bye. Bye.